This is Brilliant Minds in Conversation. I'm Alice Thornycroft and this episode of the podcast was recorded live in front of an audience at our Brilliant Minds showcase in London. My guest today is Nick Greenstock. Nick is the CEO and co-founder of Gatehouse, a boutique geostrategy consultancy who work with multinational businesses, national intelligent bodies and governments. In a former life, Nick also played professional rugby, representing Wasps, Harlequins and England. And I started by asking Nick to explain what geopolitics is and how he got into the field. Geopolitics is a, is a crazy one. And, and when we considered it back in early 2000s and we started talking to people about geopolitics, they kind of said, kind of, geo, geo what now? Um, and the, the world has changed and, and, and geopolitics is a thing that you are cognizant of. Um, in, in essence, it's facets of, at a national level that are deployable to generate leverage. So how do you, how do you influence transnationally? You use your army, you use your soft power, uh, you use your economic power to generate results that wouldn't otherwise be achievable. And this is a constant swirl of these interactions that are in play at any given moment. Um, I, I was dragged into it at, almost at birth. I am the, the son of a diplomat. Um, and uh, my father ended up as the British ambassador to the United Nations. Um, and during rugby career playing alongside Harvey, uh, during the summers I would head out there to work for a corporate finance business and, and head into the ambassador's residence uh, for lunch, in oh. part because I'm greedy, um, uh, but in the most part because of the people in the room. And you'd sit down and to one side of you was George Soros, the other side was Happy Rockefeller, Sergei Lavrov, uh, the now uh, Russian foreign minister, was the ambassador in New York at that time and you'd have discussions in, in that moment. And what you began to understand was the interest that business, politics, uh, non-governmental, uh, these pieces aligned into trying to understand where the direction in world governance was going to go and how that was going to create leverage or influence on outcomes going forwards. So I was kind of dragged into those conversations early um, and, I, and I became frustrated at business at it being really bad at it. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we've got lots of leaders in the room. So what should they be asking themselves when it comes to geopolitics in terms of the businesses they run? How, how do you start that conversation? What should people be doing? So I think the, the, the opening side of this is there's too much for you to track. So you're going to have to make uh, solid choices about refining what you look at. If you went back 25 years, 30 years ago, access to data was your problem. That is no longer your problem. In fact, you have the inverse problem. You all have an aligned ADHD. What am I actually going to look at? And why we're looking at it creates some degree of opportunity or value for my organization or for me individually. So you're trying to get stuff off the desk. Uh, and not bringing stuff onto it. You need to be really uh, disciplined about, therefore, what you're looking at, why you're looking at it, and, and defining in the end not what's interesting, but what's valuable. Where's the so what in what you're looking at? Um, the final aspect here is that the new cycle is so rapid and the change in the way in which the media model works is that all they want is your attention. So you're going to be bombarded with sensation after sensation. They want your eyeballs. That's how the business model works. You're going to have to be much clearer at saying, I will define the filter. I will define what it is that I want to look at. And I will define why I need to look at it. If you're not really clear about it, someone else will make that choice for you. Social media is excellent at it, um, as your kids will tell you. If, If you want to go down a rabbit hole, they will define that for you and supply you with the information. 
So you need to be really clear about what you're looking at and how you build the filters that bring data that is relevant to your decision. Can you give us any examples of businesses you've worked with who got to grips with this? You know, the help that you've given them. What, give us some examples of what, what they've done. It's, I mean, probably <clears throat> you know, bringing a, a real-life example, you all have been through this time last year, we were in the throes of kind of will-he-won't-he Putin invasion of, of Ukraine. And, and the reality in that moment is trying to work out the delta between action and inaction. So for one of our clients, uh, a UK-based uh, drinks business, they have a, a, a well-functioning uh, operation in, in, in Russia, um, and they had around a quarter of a billion pounds of liquidity in that business um, that w was there to function and support day-to-day uh, -day operations. The, the reality is if, if, they, if they had left that capital in place uh, beyond the 24th of February, uh, they wouldn't be able to, to access it. Uh, the sanctions regime operated very quickly, um, and in fact, they gave away that business for $1. Uh, in September. We exited the, that capital uh, on the 7th of February last year um, through a dividend uh, back to the UK parent company because the delta between taking that action, it, it was a, in the end it was about $60,000 in legal fees and banking transfer fees versus access to £250 million worth of capital. The delta there is incredible. And so there are easy ways in which you can deploy your understanding of a given issue. We brought Obama's head of sanctions in to talk to this company about what the US would do in sanctions application on the moment uh, Russian troops put one foot into occupied Ukraine. And so yeah, that, that, that sort of insight is, is feasible and deployable for decision making. So this isn't about trying to be uh, a, spending worldly time looking at the, the broad concepts of geoeconomics versus geopolitics. It's interesting, it's macro, but it doesn't necessarily help you in decisions. It's trying to work out what is changing in the global environment that's going to generate deltas for outcomes for your organisation. And there's lots of them out there. If there's questions, please do pop your hands up. Um, talk to me a little bit about the consequences of growing hostility between China and the US. What impact could that have? It's huge. Um, and and it, you know, it's, it's obviously highly relevant for globalised businesses. Um, so when we're you know, talking with, with clients who have businesses in both China um, and the US, there's, there's huge complications in the way in which they manage stakeholder relationships at the front end. But you need to look at the way in which US politics has evolved during the course of, of the last you know, four and a half years. And this isn't all Trump driven. Um, the Biden administration has been more hawkish on China than, than the Trump administration was. But it's the, the facets of that competition. What we are entering into is you know, great nation competition again. We haven't seen this really since the demise of the Soviet Union uh, back in the early 90s. And, and that sense of realistic competition and the application of restriction is what's going to cause uh, permutations in your operating environment. So this isn't about you know, the, the nature of what intellectual or philosophical approach to politics is right or wrong. This is how inconvenient can it be for you? And the, the use of sanctions, the, uh, uh, the denial of, uh, of access to the global financial plumbing, um, SWIFT and other services, these are really disruptive uh, forms of, of blocking uh, activity. And, and what we're beginning to identify are those tracks down which the, the, the world might go that will restrict your capacity to do things in those markets in the way you expected to. So we have with a, a German car supplies, car parts supplier. Um, this is one of those businesses you've never heard of um, that
that has you know, more turnover than British Telecom. It's, it's, it's terrifying. And, and we talked to them about the, the capacity to move their geolocation components. So that, that fin you have on the back of your car that tells your car roughly where it is. Um, it, if it has a Chinese component in it, then governments are going to start asking you how that data is handled. Um, we found within that data, and by the way, things like Chinese telephones on your desk, are sending data packets back to China. Um, uh, we're not quite sure what's always in those data packets, um, but that information sharing is something that Western governments are looking to restrict. So they were asked to remove Chinese components from that particular part of, of the car manufacture. Um, the cost of doing that uh, was incredible. Um, so the, the clusters built around specific component manufacturing are highly effective and efficient. We have run our global economy during the course of the last 25 years, particularly on the basis of cost efficiency. Um, and so as you begin to uh, unravel the implications for taking a, a country out of your supply chain, the cost implications are incredible. It, it actually, in the end, costs about 60% more to develop that component to the similar standard running it through non-China uh, destinations. Um, and it made it uncompetitive. This is a product you could not use, um, given the, the cost implications at, in, at, the, at the OEM, the car builder uh, endpoint. And so we, we're seeing this, this kind of this call on um, resilience over efficiency beginning to build itself out in the questions asked of, of companies. For those with even kind of tangentially sensitive materials, um, you've seen semiconductors as part of this conversation, but tangentially uh, uh, securitized materials, governments are going to come and talk to you and say, how dependent is your business on China? And if we asked you to restrict certain uh, actions or supply, how quickly could you make that happen? And so geopolitics is inserting itself into common you know, business practice, where before it was just, what is the cheapest way for me to make this happen um, in ways that conform to a value set for your organization? Um, now it is, you know, and is that going to be allowed by the government in the host country? Question. I think there's a question here and there is a question, a couple of questions over there. So we'll take that one first and then we'll come back over there. Thank you. Um, how relevant is cryptocurrency to geopolitics? It, highly. Um, in the most part, so crypto you have to unravel. Crypto is a very unhelpful wrapper. Um, because it is, is a, a kind of simile for a lot of different parts of this. So crypto in its purest form can be uh, decentralized finance. It can be a crypto asset, an investment asset. It can be uh, decentralized currency. It can be a central bank uh, decentralized currency. And so depending on what it is you're thinking about crypto and its application will you know, effectively direct my answer. The reality of the technologies that sit behind crypto is, um, is that they are highly capable at uh, removing governments and necessarily nefarious governments from uh, the interactions of fiat currencies. So you know, blockchain is a really helpful formulation and technology that you will see deployed across multiple businesses as well as international and multilateral systems. Um, but if you're looking at FTX or you're looking at uh, Bitcoin, that in the end is operating less as a, a medium for international financial transfer and more as an asset. So you're looking at the you know, Bitcoin price. You're not looking at, am I able to bypass dollarization um, a, a, during the course of geopolitics? What we are seeing, though, is that the EU on the, the efforts by China to drive out uh, an electronic decentralized currency is actually a way for them to bypass SWIFT. 
So the, the fascinating part here is the way in which you're going to see differentiated ways for financial flow, where sanctions won't be deployable and they will be deployable. So crypto is a, is a, is a, is a big amorphous piece, but facets within that uh, conversation really need to be watched. They will change the technological base for many of your businesses. For sure. So de-dollarization is one of the, the central themes for post-Russia Ukraine and, and some of the difficulties envisioned in a, in a China-Taiwan scenario. But if you, if you look at you know, de-dollarization strategies, who's been running them? The central banks? Yes, Beijing has. Yes, Moscow has. But so has Brussels. So has, so has Berlin. So has Paris. Um, you're, you're trying to get your head around, actually, this is a, this is a classic geopolitical facet. The reliance on, in global finance on the dollar creates leverage for the US, and it has deployed sanctions and access as the basis of generating an outcome that is more positive for the US over the course of time. They will happily do that in Europe if, it, if they think there is something to be gained. So de-dollarization strategies, uh, you know, re-denomination of contracts. You just saw the UAE and Saudi Arabia sell oil contracts in Remimbi. Um, first time that's really been done. So that, that restructuring into a balkanized financial system is, is something that's in play as well. Gentleman back there with the glasses. Yep, yeah, hand up. Thank, thanks very much. It's actually on a similar theme, so I'll drop the end part of what my question was going to be because you answered most of that there. But I'm really interested to see what your points of view are on what the fourth industrial revolution applied artificial intelligence will do to, a geo, to, to geopolitics. Uh, well, one, thanks, and, and two, I, I should have made clear at the very beginning uh, that, that um, I, I am one human being. I'm, I'm about an, in, an inch deep on everything. Um, and we, we catalyze a network of about 3,500 people who are far more expert than me to, to deploy on these, on these issues. So I am only paraphrasing that which I've, I've, I've been told by our AI specialists. The, the first is, is that the rules base is shockingly underdeveloped. So the application of AI is, is not being marshaled in a way that is sensible to the political, social, or business environments. So it's kind of work it out, try it, see how we go. So I, I suspect you've all been having fun with ChatGPT um, and seeing whether it can, frankly, do your jobs. Um, I'm, I'm quite concerned it can do good chunks of mine. Um, the, the reality, though, is how, the, how that uh, technology is going to be deployed. The, the space for digital... Um, uh, application and uh, real efficiency is incredible. So we're seeing AI being deployed. I was at an energy conference uh, in Florence Monday, Tuesday, it being deployed in decarbonization strategies and in efficient use of machines. Um, so whether that's drilling machines or down through um, to uh, energy um, induction units, they are finding somewhere between 5 and 25% efficiency improvements by running uh, machine learn and AI algorithms through their, their systems. So the, the, the capacity for its deployment in making efficiency gains is ridiculous. In terms of our work on climate, for example, and carbon reduction, AI is going to be fundamental. If you then talk about autonomous weaponry, um, and, and our previous speaker will have a, a sense of what it would be to fly a human-powered jet versus a non-human contained jet, and, and what is possible in terms of, of maneuvering, um, yeah, the, the AI application there is, is uh, both scary um, and not controlled enough. Um, the Australian government is in the process of, of deploying autonomous weaponry in civilian zones. This is scary. 
really scary. And so you know, where, where you begin to remove humans and therefore humanity from the decision-making process, you, you are uh, relying on um, the, the you know, unbiased sense of the data and programming that sits behind these systems. So we need to, to get ourselves into a place where um, the, the rules and controls established multilaterally for global application are much clearer because you know, your, your bond villain is, is rubbing, rubbing their hand because the, that application without control is something that's feasible at the moment. I'm just wondering if you meet many rugby players in your career. Uh, there, there are, listen, the, 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 rugby, the rugby background is... Because, is a, yeah, I'm just is, saying, it's a big jump from rugby, isn't it? No, listen, it, it, it is, and, and you've had two incredible professional uh, uh, sports people um, uh, already on the stage, and so I, what I don't want to do is even try to attempt to, to position myself against them. Um, the, the reality is, is that it teaches you a number of valuable things. Um, most important in that for, for, well, for Harvey and me, and I keep pointing at Harvey as, as a rugby player as well, is that, that kind of concept of, of team. Um, I, I have had to understand very clearly what I don't know. And obviously, I've made great attempts to show you I think I know everything. But um, <laughs> your, your, your challenge should be uh, realistic and reasonable. The, the, the reality in that team environment is there is always someone out there that's better than you. So the, the reason I set this business up was my frustration when working at RBS. The, you know, we were doing a deal in China. And you know, the, the, the deal head said to me, right, Nick, go and spend yeah, kind of two, three weeks. Um, and can you tell me how it is we should position this deal? Where do you start? Yeah, so I, you kind of reach out. You, you, you kind of get, you get some white paper. You, you, you kind of bring that in. And, and, you, and you're like, well, I've never been to China. Uh, I don't know whether the materials I've got are, are good or not. I can't be the judge of that. And, and how do I work out what parts of what I'm reading are going to be actually useful for us in, in the way in which this deal is structured? Um, and so, as you know, you know, children I want to do, I went whinging to my father, this, this former diplomat, this grandee, and I said, who, who do you know who's been to China? And he said, oh, God, I'm seeing the cent former central bank governor next week. I know the, the, the former head, you know, head of, the, of the Shanghai CCP and, and their trade envoys coming through town. I was like, oh, my good Lord. Hey, can, I, can I just speak can to I them? Can I hang out? And, and <laughs> when, you, when you spend time talking to people that genuinely know uh, what's going on, and you can ask the second question, which is, well, it's all very interesting, but I'm trying to do this. Why, why is any of that going to be relevant to the result for me? And for them to say, well, if you do this and you do this with this person, you're going to get this result. You're like, ah, okay, I get that kind of makes sense. But it's that recognition and humility, I don't know everything. Mm -hmm. and, and the capacity to bring, in, in this world we are today, so super connected, the expert you need, the individual with the perspective that will enhance what you do is available. Um, you just need to find them and be humble in deploying them on the critical questions your business is asking. Um, and actually what you begin to get then is not just challenge that slows things down, it's a real insight that actually creates value to the outcome you're looking for. And so trying to deploy that network is, is fascinating. And, and rugby is, is great because you know, what Harvey's good at um, in part is, is not what I'm good at. You know, I see AD here as well. You, know, I, I, you never trust a fly half guy. Gregory's here as well. They, they will always in some way try to break you or, or have you killed um, and, 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 and not allow themselves to be killed. So you, you learn quite quickly how to, how to you know, you know, work out the characters. But the, the reality is, is that there are fantastic people around. And the composite of your internal teams... Yeah, I was just going to say that. Could you find some of this expertise within your own business already? 
for sure. If, if it's a global company, uh, yeah. Listen, we, we, are, we are stunned every day in, in how little businesses ask their existing teams mm. for their insights. You know, we have a client who was trying to set out their strategy for India, and we said, have you spoken to your India team? Not yet. Do you not think that would be a good place to, good place to be? Um, do you not think they're going to set the agenda for you in a way that's you know, highly rele relevant and correlated to the outcomes you're after? And so look at, look at the uh, resources and capabilities within your businesses and find how useful they are in, in uh, either setting the, the base structures or really informing the strategies that you have. And if there's things that are missing, fill the holes. Um, but don't be afraid of, of challenge. Don't be afraid of looking outside of, of those issues. Each of you will have a meta question that is crucial for the function of your business. For this, you know, this German car parts supplier, the capacity for Europe to remain competitive in the global system is the number one question for them. But there are huge numbers of things that will inform that. Energy security, uh, you know, access to, to data, um, you know, R&D budgets, um, the linkages into their OEM final customers. There's, there's a huge swirl that sits around that. They can answer some of those, and, and, and some of them are more difficult to, to get to grips with. But it's, it's having that concept of what is it that's changing around me, and how will it actually influence the outcome for my organization? Sometimes it's, you, you get caught in that internal focus. You're over-obsessed with the, the small decisions you're making internally, and you lose sight of, of some of the bigger picture. So it's trying to bring out some of those, those kind of layers that will allow you to understand the, the way in which the, both the market and, and the space in which you're trying to succeed will change and whether you are going to be fit for purpose in that space going forwards. Those two bits should sit hand in hand. Recorded live in front of an audience at our Brilliant Mind Showcase in London, that was Nick Greenstock. If you enjoyed that episode, remember to subscribe to Brilliant Minds in Conversation on your favourite podcast app. To find out more about our guest today, head to harveythornycroft.co.uk and click Brilliant Minds. <laughs>